And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, March the 17th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today is St. Patrick's Day. I'll talk about Patrick in a moment. On March 17, 1762, New York City held its first St. Patrick's Day parade. Today in 1776, the Revolutionary War siege on Boston ended. British forces evacuated the city. Today in 1936, Pittsburgh's great St. Patrick's Day flood. It began, the rivers had been rising, their tributaries had been rising, swollen by rain and melted snow. It exceeded flood stage, high water flooded into the city. At least 60 people were killed. They tell that story every year in Pittsburgh. They're telling it this morning in their news. Today in 1941, the National Gallery of Art opened in Washington, D.C., Today in 1959, the Dalai Lama fled Tibet for India in the wake of a failed uprising. The Tibetans tried to take on the Chinese. They failed. Today in 1966, the U.S. Navy midget submarine had located a missing hydrogen bomb. That bomb, you may remember this now that I mention it, that hydrogen bomb had fallen off of a uh, U.S. Air Force B-52 bomber. I, it must have been uh, attached to the outside of it. Maybe that's it so big. I don't remember. I remember when it happened. I couldn't believe it. Nobody could. That could have ended very, very not well. But as it turned out, they this little midget submarine found that thing down in the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea off the, uh, off the coast of uh, Spain. And uh, after they located it, it still took several weeks, as I recall, to actually recover the bomb. (laughs) Clearly, it did not go off. Today, in 1969, Golda Meir became Prime Minister of Israel. And today, in 2009, the Seattle Post-Intelligencer published its final print edition. I hated to see that go, and when I think about it, There's a little bit of sadness because I know that the Seattle PI is not in print anymore. hasn't been for 11 years as of today. It's still online, and I check it from time to time. But uh, I grew up with the Seattle PI. We didn't get it every day where I live. We didn't live in Seattle, obviously. We lived in the Yakima Valley. But my dad would, it would come out early. The Seattle PI uh, Sunday edition would come out on Saturday. So my dad would pick it up somewhere, I don't know, where grocery store or something. But it was always at the house on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And he would read certain parts of it. But I would always hit the comic strips. Man, I love those comic strips. And uh, my mother wasn't a big fan of comic strips or comic books, for that matter. She didn't know if they were very spiritual or not. But anyway, I would read the, uh, the Seattle PI comic strips, Flash Gordon and all that stuff. Well, I got my fix for the week, I'll tell you. I would dream big after I would read Flash Gordon and some of that. But fond memories, but things changed. Seattle Post-Intelligencer, just online nowadays. Thomas Cahill wrote a, uh, wrote a book. In fact, I have it in my personal library. It was published back in 1995. It's been republished. But it's titled, How the Irish Saved Civilization. It's Random House put it out, and still do. But in that, Thomas Cahill wrote, Romans, in their first encounters with these, talking about the Druids, 
Exposed, insane warriors were shocked and frightened. They were howling, and it seemed possessed by demons. So outrageous was their strength, featuring all the terrors of hell itself. The Druids, from whom Halloween originated, believed that the trees and the hills were inhabited by good and evil spirits, which constantly needed to be appeased. Cahill says in his book, Druids sacrificed prisoners of war to the war gods and newborns to the harvest gods. They were truly demonic. Believing that the human head was the seat of the soul, Cahill writes, they displayed proudly the heads of their enemies in their temples and on their palisades. They even hung them from their belts as ornaments and used them as footballs in victory celebrations and were fond of employing skull tops as ceremonial drinking bowls. There's more, but you get the point. Mary Cagney, she wrote an article some time ago. It's called Patrick the Saint. It was published in Christian History, Issue 60. As I said, it's been a few years ago. But Mary Cagney wrote, With no Roman army to protect them, Roman legions had long since deserted Britain to protect Rome from barbarian invasions. The Druids, among others. Patricius and his town were unprepared for the attack. Patricius is whom we know as Patrick. That's the Latin, his Latin name means nobleman. But Cagney says the Irish warriors wearing helmets and armed with spears descended on the pebble beach. They would have been the Druids. Rome had withdrawn because Rome had become vulnerable. They had controlled all of that area of the world up there at one time, and they had were being attacked in Rome, so they had pulled some of their armies back to protect Rome and left what we know as Great Britain today unprotected by the Roman Empire including Ireland. But the brain horns struck terror in Patricia's heart. He started to run toward town. The warriors quickly demolished the village, and as Patricia darted among the burning houses and screaming women, he was caught. The barbarians dragged him aboard a boat bound for the east coast of Ireland. For six years, Patrick herded animals for a druid chieftain. He later wrote his life story called The Confession of St. Patrick, quote, But after I came to Ireland, every day I had to tend sheep, and many times a day I prayed. The love of God and his fear came to me more and more, and my faith was strengthened. And my spirit was moved so that in a single day I would say as many as a hundred prayers. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, and almost as many in the night. And this even when I was staying in the woods and on the mountains. And I used to get caught up for prayer before daylight, through snow, through frost, through rain. There the Lord opened the sense of my unbelief that I might at last remember my sins and be converted with all my heart to the Lord my God, who comforted me as would a father, his son. Patrick wrote about himself. Then Patrick wrote about a dream that he had. He said, one night I heard in my sleep a voice saying to me, quote, it is well that you fast. Soon you will go to your own country. And again a voice saying to me, See, your ship is ready. And it was not near, Patrick wrote, these are his words, And it was not near, but at a distance of perhaps 200 miles. Then I took to flight. I went, to the, went in the strength of God who directed my way until I came to that ship. 
Well, Patrick eventually made his way back to Britain and was reunited with what was left of his family. Then when he was about 40 years old, he writes, he had another dream, calling him back to Ireland as a missionary. In his uh, piece that he wrote called The Confession, or Confession, Patrick wrote this, and I'm quoting him, In the depth of the night I saw a man named Victoricus, coming as if from Ireland, with innumerable letters. And he gave me one, and while I was reading, I thought I heard the voice of those near the western sea call out, Please, holy boy, come and walk among us again. Their cry pierced my heart, and I could read no more. And so I awoke. So Patrick returned to Ireland based on that kind of an experience. He confronted the Druids, and history pretty much proves that he converted the chieftains. He used the three-leaf clover to teach the Trinity. The Druids tried to ambush and kill Patrick a dozen times or more. He wrote about it in his journal. Daily, he said, I expect murder, fraud, captivity, but I fear none of these things because of the promises of heaven. The merciful God often freed me from slavery and from 12 dangers in which my life was at stake, not to mention numerous plots. God is my witness, he wrote, who knows all things even before they come to pass. And he used it to forewarn even me of many things by a divine message. I came to the people of Irish to preach the gospel and to suffer insult from the unbelievers. I am prepared to give even my life without hesitation and most gladly for his name. And it is there that I wish to spend my life until I die. Encyclopedia Britannica even quotes that story. It has been said that Patrick, St. Patrick as we know him, he found Ireland all heathen. He left it all Christian. It probably was all heathen. I don't know that it was all Christian, but there has been such a Christian dynamic in Ireland. The principles. Yeah, I know about the Protestants and Catholics, and my father's mother was from there. She was a Protestant. She was from Northern Ireland, O'Hara. But, you know, you have to pause for a moment today when St. Patrick is mostly celebrated by getting drunk. Not he, but we. I don't know how we got from that story to drinking beer till we have to have someone drive us home on St. Patrick's Day, but that's where it is for many. But if we know sometimes what's behind some of these stories, it can enrich our lives and we don't have to go drink alcohol and get drunk. And I would encourage you not to do so today. But think about St. Patrick. He, his life was one of commitment and he certainly made a difference by accurate historical account in his country. There's much more I could say about that, but I'm not going to take any more time on that today. But I will tell you, it's an interesting story. It's also an interesting story. It's a saga that's playing out on our southern border. The Biden administration has repeatedly called the disaster at our southern border a challenge. He's refused to use the word crisis. His press secretary, she won't use the word either. They've made that distinction consistently. At first I noticed it, then I started really paying attention. 
they would avoid the word crisis. People would use the word crisis, they would repeat back challenge. <laughs> they wouldn't use that word. But by this week, this week now that we're in, even the press is getting to where they can't anymore declare the emperor's clothes to be beautiful because everyone whose mind is not clouded by pot or progressivism knows the southern border is a crisis. It's a fiasco. It's a disaster. The Wall Street Journal editorial board on Monday, day before yesterday, called it a mess. It is. Some in the press are even starting to do what the press is supposed to do. Ask real questions. Not many of them, but some. Some that surprises me, and I think it'll surprise you. But the answers, the responses, are even more astounding than the denials coming from this administration. Here's a piece from the uh, White House transcript of the press conference yesterday. The exchange took place in that conference room that you see if you watch the news or you see clips from it in the news. The question was, I'm quoting from the transcript, thanks. This Jen Saki, who is his press, uh, the president's press uh, person, she acknowledged uh, uh, one of the journalists in the room. So the journalist responds, "Thanks. Just two quick, just two quick ones, meaning questions." Jen, how fast moving the situation has been? Does, uh, given how fast moving the situation has been, does the president believe that this administration has a handle on what's happening on the southern border right now? Saki responded, Miss Saki, Jen Saki. She said, "We certainly do. Let me just give you a bit of an update on a three on a couple of steps that we're taking. You know, first, let me say that, like COVID, obviously a different issue, but we recognize this is a big problem. The last administration left us a dismantled and unworkable system, and like any other problem, we're going to do everything we can to solve it. Wait a minute. <laughs> Trump left them a problem." that they're now trying to solve. And yes, it is it is a growing problem. I couldn't believe she said that with a straight face, but it was just like, well, of, of course, everybody knows that Trump left us a problem. Trump, Trump left a workable plan that if Biden would have just kept his mouth shut and kept it in place, he could have even taken credit for controlling. But no, he couldn't do that because he is committed to the far left and the far left is committed to open borders. So he had to do what he did, whether he believes it or not. I don't know what's in his heart, but I can certainly tell you what his actions have been. But she looks as though somehow Trump couldn't control the border. I'm not defending Trump. I mean, he's doing well. But I'm just saying that's the world we live in. A clear-thinking Senator Ted Cruz responded much like I am right now. He said, wait a minute. He was having none of that. So he posted... On Twitter, Ted Cruz, he said, quote, Joe Biden halted wall construction, implemented catch and release, rescinded Trump era policies to control entry, dismantled enforcement and deportations, all while promising amnesty for illegal aliens. Instead of having a handle on the situation, Biden created a crisis. Ted Cruz is absolutely right. He did. Now, President Biden, it's gotten so bad. And they still won't admit it. He's brought brought in FEMA to solve it. So how bad is this? Well, Fox News reporter Peter Ducey, he pressed the press secretary, 
Jen Psaki about why FEMA was brought in. This was yesterday. He said, well, he, he asked, he said, does FEMA's arrival at the border mean the administration feels what's happening down at the border is a disaster? He pointed out that FEMA's mission, part of their stated mission, written, published mission, is to help people, quote, before, during, and after disasters. Ducey asked Saki, he said, is that is this now a disaster on the border? Because everybody knows it is. Her response began with how much she liked his mask. Yeah, the mask that he was wearing, she liked it. She liked its style. That was her response to the greatest crisis that's going on today in America as far as our national being today. Who knows about tomorrow? She started with complimenting his mask. Then she said, it's complicated. And she said, I'm quoting her, it's a big challenge and we're using every lever of government to help address that. Ducey reminded her that the Biden administration had told illegals south of the border that now was not the time to come, asking, does that mean that the federal government is now moving beyond the message of the last couple of weeks? She responded, quote, no, we're doing both, and it's a complicated problem. We are sending the message clearly to the region. Now is not the time to come, but we also want to ensure that people are treated with humanity, with yeah, humanity, who are children, so we're doing both. Well, their message is not clear. It's mixed. It's confusing. It's bizarre. It's double-minded. And it's not that complicated if you have fixed values as opposed to evolving values. Whatever Trump was or wasn't, whatever he is or isn't, he understood that if you don't have borders, you don't have a nation. God understands that too, and I talked about that yesterday from the Old Testament. It's clear, it's abundantly clear through book after book after book in the Old Testament that God designed, not the Tower of Babel, which I was talking about yesterday, but God designed borders, languages, and culture. That's how God designed this time on earth. And he did so, we learned from the book of Acts, as I said yesterday, he did so so that he could reach people with his truth, his gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, dying on a cross, resurrected from the dead, so that we might be saved and not spend eternity in hell. God loves us that much. And part of his design out of his heart of love for people, all of us, broken and sinful as we are, is that we would live in nations with borders. Because that is his way of reaching us with his message of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. You say, whoa, where are you getting that it, it, from the Bible? So these people have no concept of that. I mean, they, they don't want to believe that. They don't want to believe the Bible. They want to randomly and selectively quote verses from time to time that support their political views. And that is where the great divide is in America today. It's that it's a great divide of a worldview. It's not political policy that drives it. That's merely the outgrowth of it. That's the result. That's after the fact. The policies come into being, and they're enormously destructive if they come from the left, because the left is progressive. They have evolving values. The right, the conservatives or they're supposed to have if they don't, and most do, the conservatives hold often biblical values. But conservative values are rooted in biblical values. Capitalism is rooted in 
the teaching of Jesus, among other things, the parable, parable of the talents. These values, as they change and evolve, policy reflects that. And it's just one disaster after another. And that's why I, as, as, as an ordained minister, pastor ministry my entire adult life, that's why I take such a strong position on this and speak to whomever I can, as I'm doing right now with you. And thank you for listening. Because life itself, the, the reality of life and, and living day to day, and, and so it's based on what we believe. And what we believe and those whom we put in power believe becomes the reality and becomes the policy, the political policy. If political policy and if politics didn't impact our lives, I wouldn't give two cents about it. I wouldn't care. But it does. And that's why we're called by God to care and to be involved, to be salt and light, to be a lamp in the darkness. Don't put your light under a bushel and let the devil blow it out. Some of you who grew up in Sunday school probably remember that little song. I do. Nobody sings it anymore, but it's still true. Don't let Satan blow it out, poof it out. I'm going to let it shine. That's what God wants us to do, is to be a light in the darkness, and that's why he's called us to live out our lives in public, not in private. But the left would have us to retreat to a cave somewhere so we won't make waves and put ourselves at risk. I mean, that's the world we live in. But we're called to hold strong beliefs based on biblical truth and to infuse them into the culture in which we live. And they ultimately are, is, they are the truth of redemption for every living human being. So this is important stuff what they do. But their message is, is clear, is unclear, it's mixed, it's confused. Earlier this month, the U.S. reached a record number of, uh, high number of migrant children in the custody of Customs and Border Protection, the C CBP. Over 100,000 migrants were encountered in just the month of February, just this last month. The situation at the border is so bad that the editorial staff on the Wall Street Journal published an opinion piece that's titled, The Biden border mess. This is the, the whole staff wrote this thing. The editor said FEMA, I'm quoting them, FEMA typically addresses unpredictable calamities like hurricanes, but this border mess is man-made. U.S. Customs and Border Protection reported, reported nearly 397,000 encounters with migrants in the first five months of physical 2021. That began in October. It's a detailed article. It's a stinging rebuke to President Biden. And they conclude their article. It's rather lengthy, but they conclude with this. They say, this is the Wall Street Journal editor board, even modest reforms won't pass without public confidence that the government isn't inviting a rush of illegal migration that overwhelms the border, produces a human crisis, and urgent White House rethink is necessary. I don't know if he's thinking or not. But President Biden announced yesterday that he was decide, he has decided to visit the border very soon. But by last night, by last night, the news media was reporting that his administration staff, his handlers, the people that 
in my opinion, are pulling pulling the levers, making the decisions. It isn't Biden making them. They, they announced that he would not be visiting the border anytime soon. And speaking of lack of confidence in government, Rasmussen Reports published a survey yesterday afternoon. I didn't mention it on the program. I mentioned a different survey that they had released yesterday morning. But yesterday afternoon, after we were off the air, <clears throat> they put out this report, this survey, and it shows that nearly half of all voters in America, all independent, Democrat, Republican, all voters, nearly half do not believe that Biden is doing the job of president. They believe others are functioning behind him, pushing his buttons, telling him what to do, when to do it, what to say, when to be quiet, mostly when to be quiet. 47% of voters believe he is actually functioning as president, but 47% do not believe he is. They think others are making the decisions behind the scenes. The rest of the 100% are undecided. They don't know what's going on. But these, these decisions have consequences. And whoever is pushing the buttons, pulling the levers, whoever is making the decisions, whoever is speaking through him like a ventriloquist, I suppose Kamala Harris is having a great deal. She's so far left, you can hardly measure how far left she is. I mean, she's the most far left senator in the United States Senate last year. These various policies have consequences. Mayor Chris Riggs, he's the mayor at Gila Bend, Arizona. He told Fox News yesterday, he said, my city is completely in the dark on migrants being dumped in the city. He said, they're dumping them into our city. And I've already said on this program that up to 25% of these migrants are COVID positive. And they're dumping them mostly in Texas and Arizona, but a lot of them are headed out to North and South Carolina and places all over the United States. So when they stand up and tell you to stay home and don't kiss your grandma or go see your kids or whatever, while they're saying that, they're dumping thousands upon tens of thousands of migrants with COVID right into the culture. And in a few weeks or months, they're going to stand up and say, see, there's a surge. And the surge is happening because conservatives have stopped isolating themselves and they've started talking to people and started having dinners together in their home or whatever. That's how complex and complicated and convoluted they can make a culture when they don't believe in godly principles and conservative values. Well, I have much more to say, but that's why we'll continue this conversation, Lord willing, tomorrow right here. I want to take a moment and thank you for your support of this ministry. I wouldn't be here without you. I'm well aware of that. I thank you, and I mean that sincerely. We're able to pay our bills each month because you're standing with us and allowing our voice to be heard. If you know of someone that you think should be listening to this program, please encourage them to do that. I hear from people a lot, and they say, yeah, I started watching this. My son or daughter told me about this or someone else or whatever. But encourage people to listen in if you think they'd be interested. And thank you so much for your support. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009.